Metabolism is just a fancy word for transformation of, say, chemical A to chemical B. And it happens billions of times every second throughout your brain and body, but nowhere more than in your brain. And so you have to ask yourself, what does your brain need to make chemical A get converted to chemical B? These are enzymatic reactions. They require enzymes. Well, our brain knows and our body knows how to make enzymes. But the funny thing is that those enzymes, it's like a car that won't run without gas. Enzymes do not function optimally unless they've got lots and lots of gas. And the gas is the cofactors. Cofactors determine how efficiently those enzymes work. And the cofactors all incorporate lots and lots of vitamins and minerals. Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today, we're talking to Dr. Bonnie Kaplan. Dr. Kaplan is professor emeritus in the Cummings School of Medicine at the University of Calgary. She has published widely on the biological basis of developmental disorders and mental health, particularly the contribution of nutrition to mental health. Her efforts to educate about the role of nutrition and brain health resulted in her selection in 2017 as one of the 150 Canadian difference makers in mental health. In 2019, she was honored with the Dr. Rogers Prize. In 2021, she was chosen as one of the top seven over 70 in Calgary, partly for her book, The Better Brain. Her primary goal is to bring nutrition education and treatment to the forefront of mental health care. In this episode, Bonnie shares the micronutrients that support brain health and how best to get them from our diet. We also discuss how our soil health and food system has changed, resulting in fewer micronutrients in our everyday thought of healthy foods and how we can supplement to fill in those gaps. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kaplan. I'm so happy to have you on and like I say, pick your brain with no pun intended. Um, to talk a little bit more about brain health, but we are so excited to get this conversation started. I'm delighted to be here, and I know that I'm speaking to an audience that's really interested in this topic, so that's really exciting. So I'd love for you to start off with telling our listeners a little bit more about your journey, not only into just the health and wellness field, um, but how you got into focusing on brain health. Oh, well, I, I actually never thought of myself being in the health and wellness field. I was a clinical researcher, but I was trained in uh, a long time ago um, in experimental psychology, psychophysiology, and then I did postdoctoral training in neuroscience, and then I uh, ended up on the faculty um, in, in neurology for a while. So that was my pathway. So I learned something about how the brain works. And then when I moved to uh, where I am now, University of Calgary, uh, because all of my training was in the States, okay, and so then I came up to Canada, and I was in uh, a pediatrics department in a, a faculty of medicine at the university and working in a children's hospital, still doing clinical research. I just, you know, I was interested in the biological basis of behavior. That was my theme. And if you're interested in the biological basis of behavior, I don't see how you can ignore nutrition. It's, it's what biffles our brain and what, what makes our brain go. So um, 
I did get into, I'd always been interested in nutrition, but when I came to the University of Calgary, I was able to do a whole lot of research on brain development and brain function, and then apply that clinically to help people who were uh, benefiting from better nutrition as a result of our research. So that's, that got me into applied health and wellness. No, that's amazing. That's a, gr- a great story. And I, you can tell, I mean, you know, for, for me seeing you, but also hearing you just how much passion you have behind it, um, which is always beneficial too, when we are focusing on one topic area and I'm, you know, being a dietitian, I am very interested in the nutrients that we need to support our brain health. But can we first start with kind of the why? Why are micronutrients so important to support our brain? Well, this is the most important question of all, Kate. And if I could wave a magic wand and change one thing in our elementary school education, it would be to teach kids starting maybe in grade five or six what a cofactor is. And so that is the elementary link between understanding what nutrition does in their brain. If you, if I, if you told these kids you were teaching them about brain metabolism, it would sound like uh, maybe too technical. But if you just said, oh, there's this neat little word, cofactor. And you know what? When you're eating, you have to be getting a lot of cofactors that are vitamins and minerals because that's what makes your brain work, okay? And that's the why. But let me say this a different way. You might not want to keep both of the, you might not want to keep both of these in the interview, but uh, as a dietitian, you know that we have been teaching people for 50, 60 years, certainly since World War II, the education from dietitians um, has been the same. You've got to eat better. You've got to have a balanced diet and, and you need it. Now, unfortunately, that often was translated into you needed to have strong bones and muscles. And I have nothing against strong bones and muscles, but we should be teaching them that you're primarily eating for your brain. You have to do it. Your brain is the most greedy organ that you have, far greedier than your muscles and your bones. So it is sucking up disproportionately way more of the nutrient. So somehow the message, oh, you've got to eat better, has not worked. And that must be crushing to you dietitians. You've put your hearts and souls into this for so long. But if you look at the latest data, you probably know that the latest NHANES data, you know what NHANES is, and this is American government. Um, We have comparable data in Canada. NHANES data that came out in the last six months show that as of right now, more than 50% of what we, our societies, are putting into their mouths, more than 50% is devoid of micronutrients with vitamins and minerals. We are choosing to eliminate more than half. And it's especially bad for the children. The children, it was two-thirds. Two-thirds was not food. Two-thirds of their caloric intake did not have the vitamins and minerals that their greedy brains require for optimal functioning. So... Sorry to say this to Kate and all the dietitians out there, but just telling people what to do doesn't work. And if you've ever had a difficult child to raise his eye down, you know, I could tell you shaking your finger in front of their face doesn't work. But when you teach people why, Mm -hmm. uh, they've been telling me this for years, 
teach the metabolic pathway, show what cofactors do. And now I know why I have to improve my eating. Yep. And that's why I would like to be teaching the term cofactors in elementary school. Yeah, no, it's so it's so funny. We just had a recording yesterday and anyone that listens to our podcast regularly knows I am big on the why. Because the why is what instills behavior change. Yes. If someone doesn't know why they're doing something, when they get to that decision of, you know, should I, let's see, we'll just use that as an example. Should I make the healthier choice? Or should I, you know, have the second bagel I want to have, right? Yeah. If they don't understand why they're doing something, it's going to be a lot harder to make that healthier decision for themselves. And this is also just in life. It's not even about food. Um, so I, you are speaking my language. And I would love, Dr. Kalpin, can you treat us like we are those kids and teach our listeners what a cofactor is? Oh, sure. It's easier to do with pictures, to be honest. And so are you going to be putting any links up? Yes, with we the... can put some in the show notes. Okay. Uh, I definitely want you to put the link to my website. And secondly, I'm going to give you the link to a five-minute video. Everybody Perfect. can find five minutes to watch this. And what they would learn is that metabolism is just a fancy word for transformation of, say, chemical A to chemical B. And it happens billions of times every second throughout your brain and body, but nowhere more than in your brain. And so you have to ask yourself, what does your brain need to make chemical A get converted to chemical B? These are enzymatic reactions. They require enzymes. Well, our brain knows and our body knows how to make enzymes. But the funny thing is that those enzymes, it's like a car that won't run without gas. Enzymes do not function optimally unless they've got lots and lots of gas. And the gas is the cofactors. Cofactors determine how efficiently those enzymes work. And the cofactors all incorporate lots and lots of vitamins and minerals. And there are other nutrients that are important for brain health, but for the cofactors, it's especially the vitamins and minerals. Yeah. And so yeah. think of it that, sorry, I'll just say no, one no, no, more way. I, I get lost in my, I say too many words. Okay. So let's say just to summarize it, if you've got chemical A, you want it to be converted to chemical B. Maybe it's tryptophan that you want to be converted to serotonin. I don't know how to do that. Thank goodness my brain knows how to do it. And so my brain will do it if I give it enough of the micronutrients, which are the cofactors for the enzymes to do that conversion. Yeah, no, it's so fascinating. And it's, it's interesting because I find... People don't realize, you know, you said this statistic in the beginning of the show that about 50% of the food we're eating is void of micronutrients. And what people don't realize, too, is all, all of those, right, enzymatic reactions and our metabolisms going all day long. And if all night long. And all night long. And if we're taking in foods that are void of those micronutrients, guess what it's using? your stored ones, if you even have some that are stored. Yeah. So that's one thing I try, you know, to get across to people as well as like, you know, let's take um, 
an unrefined or a, sorry, a refined carbohydrate, like, uh, you know, earlier we used a bagel and yeah. this is not to demonize bagels. Um, but you know, pretty much anything made with white flour or white sugar that is void of micronutrients. I think almost everyone can relate to the fact that after they have um, a bagel or a big bowl of pasta, they can feel a little tired, right? And sometimes we'll say it's a food coma, but also what's happening is your body is taking those stored micronutrients that you have to process them and it's leaving you feeling a little depleted. Um, which we don't think about that when we're eating something, right? Like I may think of that as yeah, a dietitian. I'm sure you, you do. may think and of I do. that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But it's something we don't factor in when we're just thinking about like, oh, I want better energy levels yeah. or I want to feel more focused. We're not really understanding, again, that why component. We may be like, oh, I probably maybe shouldn't have had, you know, that type of breakfast this morning. Um, but we're not understanding like, oh, wait, if I know that what I'm putting in my body that's maybe not the best decision is actually stripping some of my energy away. Oh, okay. Well, now I'm going to maybe make a better decision. Um, with that said, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on what micronutrients are you finding most people are void of or lacking in people's diets that are affecting their brain health the most? Yeah. I think you mean devoid. They're dirty. Yeah. But yeah. That ultra-processed stuff is devoid of the micronutrients, no question. Yeah. You know, it depends on which study you look at. I'm looking at one right now that was um, from the Journal of the American College of Nutrition, published in 2014. Um, but even they, they only looked at 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12 micronutrients, and there are like 30 of them, right? Mm -hmm. And the ones that um, people were most... Uh, deficient in, basically less than the EAR, the estimated average requirement, where vitamin D, choline, vitamin E, vitamin K, but they didn't look at most of the B vitamins. So I don't know where they would fall. So yeah. uh, sometimes your answer is a function of the study. Maybe the one thing I could say is that in uh, Western society, uh, well, you know that worldwide iron is the one that people are most efficient in, but that is not true in the Western society because we eat so much meat. And so what this study showed confirmed that was that it was the least likely to be below the EAR um, in their samples. So basically it's all the vitamins and minerals. And, you know, if you're eating the packaged ultra-processed chemical products, I hate calling them food because they're not really food. You are often, you would be better off eating the cardboard box that it's packaged in. And, and I know that sounds like a joke, but it's true because you'd also, you'd get a little fiber and our, our population is terribly deficient in fiber. So I'm not suggesting you go eat the cardboard, <laughs> but you know, it just tells you how, how useless most of that stuff is. And you you made a comment. May I um, jump off on something you said about energy? Oh, of course. I told you, we oh. love tangents. We love going love down rabbit holes. <laughs> okay. I, I do too. I, and I certainly go on tangents. The problem is I sometimes forget where I started, but you'll, you'll pull me back. 
you referred to energy in your example a little while ago. And I don't often talk about this, but um, mitochondria are the little organelles that are in every single cell in our body and brain. And most cells have dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of them. And they're magnificent little organisms. And they produce ATP, which is the energy molecule that enables us to live. And if your ATP is not produced, you die. It is as simple as that. That is your source of energy for every metabolic bit of metabolic activity, all of your energy everywhere. So um, in 2015, I can't believe it was this long ago, um, I wrote an article with some colleagues. I called it our mitochondrial article because I realized people don't understand what they have to do to enable their mitochondria to work. And to just because I don't have diagrams to show you or anything, I'll just give you a simple word explanation. Nutrients in, ATP out. Mitochondria cannot do their job without an adequate supply of micronutrients. And so people who are interested in the metabolic basis of mental disorders are all talking about mitochondria for very good reason. I think they should also be talking about uh, fundamental metabolic steps too. I think everybody can learn these things. They're not complicated. When we wrote our book, we were told this has to be for the general public. And I insisted I have to get one diagram of metabolism and it's in chapter two. And, and they made me simplify it and simplify it, but it makes the point. Uh, and so anybody who reads that will understand and people say it influences, you know, every, every bite that we put in our mouth is an opportunity to feed our brain or not. Yeah. No, I love that. I I often use opportunity as a word too. Like even when, you know, I think as a society, we have become so accustomed to snacking and same with our children. Like that's where I think kids are getting a lot of, um, those processed foods is, you know, and I will say like, I am guilty of when my little toddler is misbehaving and I want him to get in his stroller for a walk, I'll give him a snack, but trying to give him like blueberries, right. Or something fresh, but hard. We all can fall in the trap, right. Of giving, whether it's our kids processed foods or ourselves, but if you are accustomed to having, you know, one or two snacks a day, et cetera, or your meals, it is, it's such an opportunity to get in more of those micronutrients. Like even if, let's say I'll use an example that I use with clients a lot of the times. Like, let's say you're really craving that chips and guacamole, right? I mean, who doesn't love chips and guacamole? But maybe to that plate, can we add another veggie dipper, maybe some peppers? Um, and try to get a variety of colors of peppers with it or some carrots and just think about more so adding to your plate and adding those colors and adding those micronutrients at least to start, right? Because sometimes it can feel so daunting to people to take so many things out or it's just the change is really daunting. But let's just think about adding these foods in. So that's why I'm curious, do you find yourself recommending specific micronutrients for better brain health or that people should get tested for to see where they fall? 
let's hold the testing for a, a few minutes. It's a huge issue that I want to comment on. What do we recommend to people? Well, uh, Julia Rucklich, who's the co-author of The Better Brain, uh, and I are both um, psychologists, experimental psychologists. She's also a clinical psychologist. Um, and our research that we cover in the book is, you know, there are more than 50 peer-reviewed scientific papers showing that micronutrient treatment in pill form, uh, not, not that we recommend people, everybody should take pills, but in pill form, it's, it's a proof of principle in a way, can improve brain function and behavior and mental health, et cetera. So having an impact on mental health. But when we speak to audiences, it's very important to both of us to make this point. We are food first people. We have to improve the soil and we have a half a chapter on the soil microbiome and where the problem is there. We have to improve the soil so that our soil, a lot of people don't know where they get their vitamins and minerals. It's so simple. Healthy soil has its own microbiome with tons of microorganisms and about 15 minerals. Okay, now these minerals are critically important to human health. And unfortunately, our soil does not have as many minerals as it used to for a lot of reasons. Partly, you know, uh, farming repetitively, but more likely uh, herbicides and pesticides. And there's very good data on that. So why are they so important? Well, because plants, our crops, know how to absorb the minerals, and then they can do something that you and I cannot do. They can manufacture vitamins. We can only manufacture a few of the small amounts of B vitamins in our gut. But by and large, I don't know how to create vitamins. Our plants know how to do it. Then we come, oh, and by the way, they, they synthesize about 15 of them. I'm rounding it off, but say, 15 minerals, 15 vitamins. We come along, we eat the crops. If they're healthy, grown in healthy soil, we get roughly 30 micronutrients. And that's what our brains need. Or we eat the animals that ate the crops. If you're not a vegetarian, then you're eating, hopefully, cows that have been grazing on those crops. And so they have a complete wide spectrum of uh, vitamins and minerals. So Food first. We don't, we don't want to put the world on pills. Um, that's not our goal, but it is the way we have studied micronutrients for a whole variety of reasons. But we have to improve the food supply. Yeah. Soil health is such a big topic right now that we have to pay attention to. And our food system, like an apple today is not what it was. Yeah. 50, 100 years ago, it's not even close to it. it. We just, and that's, it's hard because you want to say, take in more micronutrients, eat more micronutrients from your foods. Unfortunately, our food supply has changed. Even those fruits and vegetables, because our soil health is more depleted than it was and isn't as rich, we're not getting as many as we would like to. And that's where I think supplements can be used or right like we said pills can be used as a supplement mm -hmm. and that's you know we will go we'll talk about testing and that's why I think testing is so important to just see where you fall because you may think even I eat a great healthy balanced diet I'm sure I'm getting all the micronutrients I need but you may not realize most of the fruits and vegetables that you're eating have traveled 
from far places. And by the time they get to your plate, don't have as many as you would normally think they would or that they would have had in the past. Yes, but let's make sure that your audience doesn't, and I know you'll agree with this, doesn't take away the message, oh, the fruits and vegetables don't have enough nutrients. No, 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 never. No, (laughs) the message is eat more of them. Instead of an apple a day, eat two apples a day, whatever. Mm -hmm. But also become very, we all have to become very concerned and we have to support people who are in the regenerative agriculture movement and try to buy our food when we can from people who are doing something about trying to replenish the soil. I wanted to get back to if there were any specific micronutrients that you recommend in your book or to people for better brain health. So how about if I turn that question around to you, since I just told you there are about 30 micronutrients we need and also amino acids, essential fatty acids, and all the phytonutrients that are packaged with the micronutrients, which are the vitamins and minerals in those plants. I mean, we need a lot. We need the whole array. So, um, Kate, which of the micronutrients can you point to that you do not think our brains need very much? I don't think there are any that aren't important. Bingo. That's you know, the answer. That's, yeah. <laughs> and and that's what I, you know, I don't think people... Um, Obviously, right. Like all, and honestly, most micronutrients are important for every organ in our body. It's not like it's just one, but there are like, we were talking about B vitamins, how you were mentioning like, oh, the study doesn't even mention B vitamins, Mm. but that's one that I find so many people don't realize how little they're getting or may have. And that's where you know, if you were to recommend someone, if they were going to their doctors and they're like, okay, I want to get tested. I want to do a micronutrient panel. Would you recommend Dr. Kaplan that they get all, you know, let's say 30 micronutrients tested or are there specific ones that you think they should focus on? Well, this might be where you and I decide to disagree. Okay. Yeah. But I'll tell you my perspective and then I'd like to hear if you can answer it. So the question is, what do the tests test? The tests test what is in your peripheral blood and your urine. Mm -hmm. Do you know of any exceptions to that? No. There's no way to test what's in your brain. And that's not even the important question. We know that what that there are individual differences. There are models of this in terms of genetic predisposition that are very well supported in the physical health realm. So Kate, you might need more vitamin B6 than I do for, you know, optimal brain function. Where can I test that I would find out what your brain needs? I might need more magnesium than you do. I don't have a test for that. So, uh, I get this question a lot because I don't mean to sound disrespectful of people who do like organic acid tests and and they do figure out sometimes things that, you know, people need that they're not metabolizing well or something like that. But I I don't, I know that we cannot test yet the thing which we really need to know, which is how much do you as an individual need of each of the vitamins and minerals? Yeah. No, and until we point. have that, I don't have a I don't have a good answer for you. Uh, I 
basically what Julie and I have studied is a shotgun approach. It's the broads because, you know, if you keep everything within your, um, you know, below tolerable upper levels and so you're not poisoning yeah. anybody, right? Um, there's a very wide range above RDA and tolerable upper upper level. And the broad spectrum formulas that are the best supported in the world and are mostly from the uh, from here in Alberta, that there are some, you know, also in um, Europe, they all just, they're shotgun approaches. They say, okay, we need 30 micronutrients. Let's study them in balance anyway, um, and in highly absorbable forms, et cetera. And we wrote a paper in 2007 this might sound like a digression, but I think it uh, is very much to this point. Well, and if it's a digression, you like it anyway. I was going to say, <laughs> bring it on. Okay. So um, we, are, we are human beings, all of us, no matter if we're scientists or dietitians or nutrition experts or whatever, or just the general public, and we are looking for magic bullets, right? If we have an infection, we want one antibiotic. If we have something about our brains not working very well, we want one nutrient, maybe two we mm -hmm. can handle, but just a handful to, to make our brains work better. But our brains don't work that way. And that's what the brain metabolism pathways show us so clearly. Every single step requires three to six and micronutrients. And if you look at one little tiny picture from, say, serotonin or tryptophan metabolism, metabolism or dopamine or any of them, you're very quickly up into 20 some micronutrients needed for every little corner of metabolism. So um, I have to pause for a second. Um, I literally forget why I was saying that. Oh, see, this, this is what digressions do to oh, my brain. It's, it's all because good. I, and I was writing some notes at the same time I was talking to you. Uh, help me. What was I? So I'm not sure where yeah, you're I going said, with I said it. I wanted to, yeah, I said I wanted to digress. Oh, but the kind of the, the shotgun oh, the magic approach. Bullet. Yes. Like we're in the biohacking era. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Sorry. I, I like, I used to say, oh, it's senility, but it isn't. It's just, there's so much to say. So, um, in about 2007, my colleagues and I wrote a, a major review article evaluating all of the nutrient treatment studies in mental health going back to the 1920s. It was like all the scientific literature. Eventually, in order to get it published, we had to trim it down. But anyway, we ran it all. We put it all together. And here's what we concluded. And what we concluded then, I think, is absolutely still true. There is no magic bullet. That's the number one conclusion. You go back to the 1930s and there were people who thought, oh, schizophrenia was because of manganese deficiency. Oh, let's take a group of people and give them calcium. Somebody got better. Must be calcium is responsible for mental illness. I mean, on and on, one nutrient at a time. Our society is still doing that. Where did all the research funding go in the last 10 years? Vitamin D. Vitamin D was going to cure depression. Well, guess what? It doesn't. Very important mm -hmm. micronutrient, right? And we're all deficient in it, but we still, and our funding agencies still have that idea, a single magic bullet. Then there's a group I call it the favorite few, pardon me, I won't go into it here, but the only research which has shown genuine benefit in mental health 
has looked at the full spectrum. We call it broad spectrum micronutrient formulas. And the public doesn't know about it. The media won't cover it because they just like to run articles and you have to ask why about vitamins are dangerous, don't take them, um, whatever. But these are peer-reviewed scientific articles, so many replications, every kind of methodology, including the uh, placebo-controlled, randomized trials, fully blinded, et cetera. And there are over, I think I told you, there are over 50 of them now. And um, that's why we wrote the book, actually. We're so frustrated that nobody knows about this vast literature, the vast database. So we've got to get people away from the magic bullet thinking. And, and not that you were saying you were expressing a magic bullet, but you wanted me to come up no, with a we few. all want answers. That's we, what it is. We, it's want, like we, we want the magic bullet. It's, you know, we want the answers. Like I said before, it's like we're in the, the era of biohacking, you know, biohack yes. everything. And um, sometimes there just is no yeah. biohack there is no answer and i i that's why i really dr Kaplan, appreciate your answers okay and it's not the easy answers right mm-hmm. it's not you know necessarily what people want to hear and um i'm really curious based on all your research and like being so immersed in brain health for so long what do you personally do each day to support your brain mm. Lots of things, including studying a foreign language every morning. <laughs> you know, why not? So my Italian's getting a little bit better year by year. Anyway, um, you know, I do take a broad spectrum formula. I get all of the vitamins and minerals. I do try to have half my plate be fruits and vegetables. I don't always succeed. But one of the things they do, we have a chapter of recipes in our book. And, and my very favorite one is not really a recipe, but years and years ago, Kate, I looked at my diet and I thought, you know, I know I'm eating enough fruit because I always started the day with fruit, but um, I don't think I'm getting enough vegetables. And that's true in general. I think I'll bet of people you counsel too. Yeah. And so now every morning for decades now, I've had my morning veggies. What I do is I take a large bowl once every, usually about 10 days, and I chop up uh, raw vegetables of all the different colors, purple cabbage, red radishes, um, green snap peas, etc. Mix them all together, put them in containers, put them in the fridge. And when I take a bowl of those and I drizzle a little olive oil on so that you absorb the you know, mm-hmm. appropriate vitamins and a little touch of salt, and that is my go to every single morning and I crave them. So Bonnie's morning veggies are I in love that chapter. That, Bonnie. Works very well. I send out pictures of it to people to show how beautiful it is. It's so appealing visually even. In breakfast so is the hardest time for sure to get in vegetables. I find I try to promote to people because we often think of like salads, which I like salads because basically I feel like they're a vehicle to put in a lot of different veggies on there, right? Like when I say salad, I'm not just talking like just put your greens in a bowl. Like add, you know, you could add, right? We're talking about peppers earlier, cucumber. Like you can just add such a variety. And I always think like, I love a good breakfast salad where you just make a salad and you can put your eggs on top and you could put a little dressing if you want and just make it exciting. Maybe some avocado in there to get, you know, more nutrients for your brain as well. And some seeds. 
Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it, it's tough for people in the morning. Mm -hmm. They don't often think of vegetables. So I love that Bonnie's vegetables. I'm going to have to look that yeah, one up. Yeah. Now, that's not my breakfast. That's my mid-morning that's, oh, that's free yeah, lunch. That's great. You know? But it's just, it's but included. But I do it every day. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So what else? So we have our Bonnie's veggies yeah. in the morning. What else are you doing? Uh, well, um, I snack on nuts. <laughs> okay. Nuts and seeds is your best snack. Uh, I use my my first bre well my first breakfast is an apple and tea, but then my larger breakfast usually a couple. I I get up really early four or five, so there's a lot of time before lunch. I have to eat every you know a few times, and I use it as a vehicle to get enough fiber. So that's when I eat a lot of bran and uh, whole grain. And my husband makes our granola. That recipe is in the book too. So and it's really good. So. Uh, you know, what else do I do? Uh, I don't necessarily buy organic. You can't, and, and where I live, you know, we, we, uh, you live in California, I think. So yeah, uh, I, I'm now in Wilmington, North Carolina, but I was in California. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, if you live in a warmer climate, you can be a little pickier and choosier, but up here in, in Canada, uh, where we live, not, not near the British Columbia, which grows lots of stuff, uh, it's hard. And so um, you getting even, I try to get some organic when I go shopping all the time, but it's not completely organic for sure. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where a great Just, option uh, too, Bonnie, do you find at least like in your stores um, and it's cheaper, but can you get organic frozen? Do you have access to like organic frozen fruits and vegetables no I have oh well, so that's much not true. i have seen some of the fruits labeled yeah. organic and uh, the i just i love the frozen section i think i think frozen fruits and vegetables whether organic or not yeah are just so underrated because they're more cost effective for mm -hmm. a lot of people and the ease of you know there's a lot of people who don't enjoy cooking or don't enjoy um let's say chopping up their vegetables and you can get a frozen pack already chopped, throw it on a pan, add it to any meal or snack you'd like. And it's just that easy. That's right. We also, we made a point of teaching people how to use canned beans and uh, let, well, not lentils. I mean, lent, people don't understand how quick it is to cook <laughs> lentils. You don't need them, buy them in cans. No. But uh, all the different kinds of beans, because um, I think people are afraid they, they, and they don't realize that they're very good nutrition. And if you just rinse them, you get rid of any extra sodium. People wonder about that, but it's not going to kill you. But if you're trying to minimize your sodium intake, and we all should probably, uh, that's really easy to do. And it's so cheap. It's so, so cheap. inexpensive. And you can go online, and I've done this. You can put, um, I, I'll use lentils as an example because I did it not long ago. Just put in, in your search engine recipes, lentils, and I think I had some spinach in the fridge that day and spinach. In less than one second, I had over 7 million recipes. Now, you know. I know. Everything's at our fingertips. It's it crazy. Is. Actually, it's funny. I was thinking tonight, which is another great low cost, nutrient dense food, um, potatoes. I read oh. potatoes that I need to use up and I'm like, what do I want to do with them? And I did the same thing. 
And I was like, oh, red potato recipe, just to like get, yes. you know, get the juices flowing. I'll probably go with, you know, just a garlic yes. <laughs> smashed potato because that's what I like. But um, there's so we much. do have everything at our fingertips and there are so many great low cost, also all year round and seasonal foods that we can use and utilize to get those micronutrients in. Um, but this has been so helpful, Dr. Kaplan. And again, I appreciate your answers and not giving us the easy answer yeah, because okay. that's what everyone's looking for. And we need to be told, no, we need to just start adding more micronutrients to our plate. If we need extra support, that can be in supplement form. Um, but it's something we have to do to, you know, better our brain and better the other systems in our body as well to ultimately in the end, right, feel good and live longer. Actually, I'd like to leave you with one other number, if I may. Yeah. Because it's a, again, I don't have a visual image, but it's something that really affects people. They tell me that it makes them think about eating better. Um, we as adults have about four to six liters or quarts of blood in us at any given time. And more than, now our brain is only 2% of our body weight. So you would think that 2% of that blood would be going through our brain at all times. Um, and I hope people understand that that's, that the way nutrients get to our brain is that if our gut is in good shape, then we are digesting and absorbing the micronutrients. They go into the bloodstream and then they go all over the brain and body. But instead of 2% going to the brain, even if you're just sitting and doing nothing, at least 20% is it perfusing your brain every minute of every day and night. It, it, because our brains are so metabolically active and we need to be feeding them constantly. So every time, and you know, you can't radically change your diet overnight. It's, it's too hard. But I love the way you talked about it, Kate, in two or three ways in this discussion. You said you need to take a step to add something in. And when you add things in, you'll be shedding the stuff that you don't need. That's a very constructive way to look at it. And now think about it in terms of your brain health and we'll all be better off. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, well, Dr. Kaplan, this has been so great. We love to end every episode with a quick wrap rapid fire Q&A for our listeners to get to know you better. So first thing that okay. comes to mind, first question is, what is your favorite de-stressing practice or support tool? Sitting quietly with a book to read. Well, that sounds really nice right now. Yeah, um, I can't remember the last time I sat by myself and read a book. I have, I have a you have young, young toddler and one on the way. Um, oh. Coffee or tea? Oh, have to have my, this is part of my retirement plan. You see, my husband's of the hair, of Italian background, and we both retired, boy, six years ago now. And the best part of retirement is now we have always had a cappuccino machine, and I had to go to work before he was up and making coffee. Now, every morning, I get a half-calf latte, so... That is the way I start my day. But then all the rest of the day, I'm drinking green tea, four or five, six cups. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite home-cooked meal? 
You know, it may well be the lentil stew, which is in that, in our book. It's my husband's recipe. It's not really Italian, but I, I guess, you know, uh, a lot of the uh, kind of peasant Italian food is beans, legumes, lentils, et cetera. And I just love it. And it's so simple. Yeah. That, I mean, it, it's just so warming too. like any type of yeah. stew. And I don't know, I'm a big lentil fan, so... I will definitely have to look up that one as well. I have lots of recipes to look up after this. Okay, good. Um, but where, Dr. Kaplan, can people learn more about your research, your book? Um, I know I want you to mention your website, um, but where are the best places for them to go to? Well, my website, we, I try to keep it very up to date. And um, it's you just have to know my middle initial because there are too many Bonnie Kaplans out there. And my middle initial is J, so it's bonniejkaplan.com. And there are links to all kinds of things there, um, lots of lectures I've given, other people's information, uh, tips for clinicians, resources, videos, et cetera. And, uh, and also, well, the, uh, also the, our book, of course. I was going to, that's what I was saying. I was like, and your book. And but, your book, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I know I learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners did, and hopefully we will get to connect again soon. Very nice talking to you, Kate. Thanks very much. Oh, thank you, Bonnie. That was great. This week's actionable step is to try to add at least one serving of fruit or vegetables to each of your meals and snacks to increase the amount of micronutrients you're getting from your diet to support a better brain. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. For something to do in between episodes, follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Wells, hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.